two moms on the couch. I'm Dr. Dana Dorfman. And I'm Amy Veltman. We met when my brother married Amy's cousin. We've been kind relatives and true friends ever since. Dana is a real psychotherapist. Amy is a fake one. I'm a comic married to a psychiatrist. Each episode will focus on one issue relevant to parents, women, Gen Xers, or humans in general, and will give you three useful strategies to approach the week's topic, which this week is raising confident, safer daughters in the age of Me Too and sons as well. Hi, Dana. Hi, Amy. Quite a topic we've bitten off for ourselves this week. I know. This is a real doozy. I know that we said it's it's mostly tailored towards daughters in a way because statistically women are more likely to be victims of, of sexual assault and harassment, but I think this is some universal stuff about parenting and relating to others. Absolutely, and talking to our kids, whatever their gender. Each person does need to know their role and their rights. Right. I think one of the things as we were teeing this up is the idea that it's not just a conversation to have with your kids. It's not just sitting down with them and having, quote, the harassment talk, talk, Uh right, or the assault talk, but it's more uh, process and, and there are things that you can do throughout your parenting life of a kid or even for yourself. I mean, I think these are things that we all still struggle with because relationships between people are fuzzy. Relationships are not a matter of always saying yes to the other person or no to the other person. We're in constant kind of negotiation, I guess. Yeah, relationships are dynamic and they're ever-changing and they're never static. They always require some kind of revisiting. It's interesting because my daughter and I were watching the Clinton affair, which which would have been called the Monica Lewinsky scandal many years ago. And... Oh, like three, three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Not even so long ago. Right. And her response to it and my response to it, she was asking me a lot about what my perception of it was when it was actually going on. And my perspective has changed massively. And I was sort of ashamed about how much I aligned with the anchors and things like they really presented it as if she, I mean, she was really vilified and maligned and portrayed as kind of a slut. And I think at the time, and I'm similarly aged to her, and you are too, yeah. that I thought that she kind of was trying, that she was sort of, I, I viewed her so differently and I viewed her so much more compassionately. And You mean now? You now I more did, compassionately. Yes, I was yeah. so much more critical and, and so much more stereotypical in some way. And I think that decades later... I was sort of ashamed. My daughter kept saying to me, you really thought that, mom? Because at age 17, she already has the perspective that... That there was a power differential between these two people and that no matter how much she really liked him or like-liked him or whatever, that it was his job as a leader... Uh, and a person empowered not to uh, accept her advance or exploit her, accept her advances if she was into him, let alone bring them on. I I didn't listen to that show. I've heard a couple other, I've heard people talking about Slow Burn. Uh, There's a podcast called Slow Burn where they dissect the whole Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing. And you know, I, I feel the exact same way as you, that I feel 
some shame mm-hmm. in how I reacted to her at the time and how I felt that there was a right-wing conspiracy that was going after Clinton and that it was unfair to him that they were bringing him down mm-hmm. over this and if two people were having something that to them at the time seemed consensual that why were they ratting it out I don't know if I was entirely thinking you know oh she's a strumpet but more that it was a thing of equals Mm -hmm. consenting Mm -hmm. to have a sexual affair and that Republicans were were blowing it out of proportion to bring down this person. And, you know, I I saw it in partisan terms. Mm -hmm. And today I do not see it in partisan terms. Mm -hmm. I think it's the responsibility of people in positions of power to use those positions responsibly, not sexually. Yes, Yes. In fact, this just this morning I was listening to the Les Moonves apparently oh God. is also like Blech. Yeah. But yeah. um and my daughter said too, which I thought was so interesting, after we listened to it, she said, you know, and Monica Lewinsky was so well spoken in this documentary and really poised and very clear about what her own psychology is and what her own process was. And my daughter said you know, she's kind of my hero. Like, oh. that's really, she's really admirable. And I thought, oh, my God, like, what a turnaround. It's unfortunate that it's taken two decades for her to be able to kind of get her retribution or her... Her moment. Uh, yes, or to be redeemed in some way, her redemption. But I thought that that was so interesting, too, because her name had been so associated with scandal for so long. She was a punchline. Yes, yes. Which is just so unfair. Yes. And it's just so sad, too, because as an older woman, I think we're older than she is. I think she was younger than us. Isn't she in her 40s? Uh, yes, but she's probably but, only yeah. two or three yeah. years okay. younger, okay. I think. But, well, she's she's much younger than you are, <laughs> but not me. <laughs> no, the other way around, isn't it? Okay, we'll we'll talk about this later. Um, we're really proud of our ages. We we embrace who we are now at this moment yes. in our vast experience <laughs> and the length of time that's allowed us to figure out how wrong we were about Monica Lewinsky at the time. Yeah, and how much and how perspectives change. And how we have to kind of avail ourselves to growing and learning and shifting our perspectives, I think. So let me tell a little perspective change story, if I may. I would love to. Uh, when, when I was in grad school for film at NYU, I had this kind of permatemp floating job at Miramax and sometimes uh, I would answer phones for Harvey Weinstein and I worked for this woman who was kind of his second in command in some ways Mm -hmm. I mean of course his brother and he were but she was she was very powerful there and so I, I was close enough to Harvey's office that I could hear him. And mm. sometimes his communications would come through the office of the woman where I worked. And at the time, this is so embarrassing, I had a huge crush on Harvey <laughs> Weinstein. <laughs> because he I has... I get <laughs> I actually can understand that. Well, I mean, I first of all, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Uh-huh. I wanted to be a director uh-huh. and a screenwriter. For a while, I was one of those things. Uh, I worked professionally as a screenwriter for a while. But and here he was, was the guru. He was the guru. I mean, this I was, you know, 20, 20 feet from stardom. You know, this uh-huh. man was 
could have done anything for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he could have done anything, anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, you know, I was, I don't know, I wasn't his, I mean, he never looked at me. Like, he was nice when I answered his phones. He was, you know, whatever. But he was, he has this basso profundo voice, mm-hmm. like this deep, mm. rich like resonant voice that would boom down the halls and I would just kind of it became a huge joke with my friends like Harvey notice me notice me you know but he never never did but you know there was so much kind of power there and he could be so charming Mm -hmm. when he was apologizing for something (laughs) you Uh know and I, it turns out later, I know some, some of the people that I worked with that I'm, I'm close to were in bad situations with Mm -hmm. him. Over time, those jokes about how much I like Harvey and want him to notice me aren't funny at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're maybe extra funny. I don't know. But (laughs) (laughs) but the point (laughs) is that, you know, I knew that he was, I, I didn't know the extent of the non-consensual things that were happening, but I I knew he was a flirtatious fellow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, I knew mm-hmm. that he wasn't a flirtatious fellow with me. But anyway, the point is, is that this era really seems important for looking back at how we saw things mm-hmm. at that time mm-hmm. and the fact that I was, quote, jealous of all mm-hmm. these girls that mm-hmm. were so pretty that would attract Harvey's mm-hmm. eye and attention and then they would get the keys to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, now I thank goodness in a way that I'm just homely enough to escape oh. it. No, I mean, I'm not, I mean, you know, a, a certain kind of beauty, like it cuts both ways because you get a lot of attention that is problematic. Like uh-huh. somebody's not seeing you. Like I could have produced good work for Harvey and I mean work like filmmaking Uh work but (laughs) yes (laughs) not the other stuff no but oh god you guys this is I'm a comic and we're talking about something sensitive so hold on because this is how it's gonna go (laughs) but you know I wasn't gonna get the chance because I wasn't that kind of pretty and for a girl that is often the way or was often the mm-hmm. way in. And it feels like the whole world is having this really cataclysmic shift mm-hmm. of like, wait, if those, if that's not the way it works anymore, how does it work? And there's all these men that are like, I don't want to be around women at work. I just read a thing in Wall Street where women, men are not having dinners with women under 35. Mm-hmm. So we're safe. We can go to dinner with <laughs> financiers. Yay. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> And they're they're not having meetings in rooms without windows. Uh-huh. I mean, it's shocking. Huh. And so these women are being cut off from the halls of power uh-huh. because they're women uh-huh. and because they're young. It's just, it's messed up. Society doesn't know what to do right now. Right. I know. I think that there is, there's a, it is really complicated and confusing and political. And I think that that has to get integrated into the conversation with our kids because I think that there's a temptation to talk about no means no or you need to give consent or do not engage with something or with someone if they're not giving consent. On the other hand, 
relationships are so complicated and they're so confusing and they're so ambiguous and these kinds of situations bring up so many different feelings that I think that it's useful to be able to talk about them with your kids, the range of feelings, or invite your kids to be able to talk about them so that some of the complexities are addressed. It's not so simple. I remember, you know, we were growing up in the Reagan era when Nancy Reagan had that just say no to drugs thing. And right. It's like, it, it's actually n- not as simple as that. If it, it's tempting to oversimplify it for the sake of discussion but in fact I don't know if that's how we can necessarily translate it to our kids in conversation right like you're you're hanging out in Central Park with three friends like there's this girl that you've thought is really cool and she's like hey do you want to come to the park with me and my friends and you know you finally got the invitation that you want and then they're standing around and then somebody pulls out a jewel and starts vaping weed and they pass it to you uh-huh. you know that's a tough situation like ah, do I just say no to drugs but then am I just saying no to this friendship and this relationship uh-huh. and this person but I want them to think I'm cool and and I'm flattered and I'm flattered and they think I'm cool and when I say you I don't mean you or me I'm talking about you know a kid in <laughs> no, their teens you not. looked a little confused there for a second <laughs> Um, I'm looking up, I asked one of my daughters mm. what they thought about mm. this topic, my younger daughter, and she had some advice for people about what you should do. Mm-hmm. So, and she's, she's her school in sixth grade has a sex ed, ed program called Night Star, which is something where they have kind of a musical intro to yeah it's really cool they they bring people in and do a musical once a week about certain issues about uh, sexually transmitted diseases Uh and consent and different gender identities and all kinds of stuff so she's been exposed to what the conversations are Hmm. so so here's her advice she says if someone touches you in a way that feels uncomfortable or inappropriate, use the people around you to your advantage, especially women. Hmm. If people don't listen to you, then make high-stakes demands or find someone who you trust and know will help you. Great advice, hmm. I thought. Absolutely. Really great. Wow. Sometimes not practical, like sometimes you're not around other women who will help you. But, you know, if you are... Everybody watch out for everybody. Okay, great. So I asked her, what do you mean by high stakes demands? And she said, like those strikes where you come to work but don't do anything so they can't (laughs) fire you. (laughs) I love that she turned it up to... 11 or maybe 12 uh-huh. you know uh-huh. like I'm just gonna sit there I dare you yes. to go to HR yes. I dare yes. you uh-huh. Ralph like uh-huh. you son uh-huh. of a gun I don't Good know I thought it was it was funny and I asked her is that something that somebody told you and it's just what she thinks should happen and it's I mean there's something so charming about Mm -hmm. it but at the same time it lacks the nuance of what we know with our um, well over 40 Mm -hmm. years plus a decade of Mm -hmm. experience (laughs) about how the world works Mm -hmm. yeah and I think it's uh, I have a lot of thoughts about it I think this happens a lot just as a side note for therapists that we have a lot of practical tips and techniques and skills that you can use 
And a lot of the time, it, they aren't necessarily, they aren't as practical. I think that the words and the concepts and the frameworks are useful for kids because it does give them something to work from. But then I think that it's important to go to like tier two so that you can start to ask them about even asking them questions about like, what do you think about that? Or what do you think is going on there? I was actually listening to an interesting podcast about talking to boys about consent and was trying to enact it with my son who was rolling his eyes when I was, I guess I was pretty obvious about it. But one of the things that he was, he was talking a lot about pornography and how different. Not your son, but the person oh, on the yes, podcast. Oh, yes, exactly. Okay, exactly. Just, not my son. No, no of no, course not. No. But the psychologist was actually talking a lot about pornography and how different it is. Kids' access to pornography is so much greater that we almost don't have a reference point. Our generation doesn't have a reference point. And he was suggesting that if kids have access to it, to start talking to them about what they see and do they see the other person consenting? What do they think is missing from that scenario? Is there a relationship there? What kind of a body do they have? So that you're really, in, you're inviting the child to be able to opine a little bit and to begin to consider for themselves. So it isn't just this didactic, I'm telling you what you should think, or I'm telling you how to deal with something, but more including them in the conversation and getting them to reflect a little bit and even to consider some of the questions that address the the nuances that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think that I have a couple of thoughts about that. One is, I, it reminds me of a piece that they had in the New York Times Magazine a few months ago, I think, about a porn education class. It was kind mm-hmm. of like a media awareness, I forget mm-hmm. what the word, li- media literacy. It was mm-hmm. a media literacy about pornography. And a lot of the young people that were consuming porn didn't really stop to think about the fact that the people were paid actors. Mm-hmm that the women's expressions of pleasure Mm -hmm. that those we have no way of knowing if those were genuine or Mm -hmm. not that they are getting paid to act like Mm -hmm. they're having an awesome time Mm -hmm. and that that's that's not how things work in real life and just the idea to me that 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 had to be spoken was pretty fascinating and and it was game changing for these kids Hmm. too Hmm that the kids would realize that this was not real life, like that there was some part of them that that thought that that was the way it really is? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're seeing it. Like, that's how a lot of kids these days are getting their sex ed is from porn. Yes. And, you know, I spend countless hours (laughs) every week doing stand-up in basements at open mics with boys and men who are usually between 17 to 30s so many of these people spend so much time with porn and I've learned so very much (laughs) way more than I ever wanted to know I mean there you know I would have said a before I started comedy, if you can dream it, it's probably out there. But there's definitely stuff out there that I would never dream of. And I uh-huh. like to think of myself as creative. <laughs> you have a pretty good imagination. <laughs> so it's a, it's a big deal, hmm. porn. And I think it trickles into the relationship world because from what I hear, a lot of these, a lot of younger people, they're not 
looking for relationships, they have this idea of hookups Mm -hmm. that may repeat and that that's as close as some people get to a relationship, but there's not this culture, it sounds like, of dating and the idea of the apps and the dating apps make looking for partnership like, oh, how do I find the best uh, toiletries kit Mm -hmm. for travel? Mm -hmm. You know, I can Mm -hmm. look online, I can try out a few, I can send it back Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work. I I just bought a toiletries kit for my husband. That's where that came from. Where did you pull that from? Yeah, he lost his. So, um, The whole thing of relationships has become so transactional Mm -hmm. and actional and we even have that at the very top leadership of our country. Even with sex, I mean even paying off Stephanie, I forget her real life last name, but Stormy Daniels. Oh, Stormy Daniels. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what kids are seeing mm-hmm. is relationships as transactional behavior exchanges. Yes. And so where do we go from there? Well, I wonder if I feel so kind of puritanical in a way, but I wonder if it is important to be able to make the connection between relationships and sex and physical intimacy is also an expression of emotional closeness. And I think that I know that we were going to talk more about girls, but I do think that boys have fewer reference points for relationships. That if you think about even the kinds of shows or the kind of media that girls engage in, that most of the themes are about relationships, who you can trust, how the whole thing works. If somebody that you didn't trust then begins to change their tune a little bit, how do you know if you, what they want, what their intentions are, that girls spend a lot more time, this is stereotypical, but I think it's accurate, girls spend a lot more time talking about the nuances of relationships and untangling them. And I think that boys don't have those kinds of reference points, that it's really about aggression and power and sex you know that there's the connection between sex and relationships is not necessarily connected for them and do you do you are you saying that that's something that the media gives them or families give them or society or just the way they're wired or what where do you think that comes from it must all be feeding off of each other i think that you know boys are conditioned and maybe even want to engage they know a lot about team relationships and sports relationships and they spend most boys or more than half of boys are engaged in some kind of sports or are encouraged to or interested in sports. And so I think that they can think about relationships as far as teams are concerned or... Is that why they're always trying to do threesomes? (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (laughs) I appreciate the levity. (laughs) Because it is such an awkward kind of conversation, I think. But boys are also interested... I know I grew up with only brothers Mm -hmm. and I talk to them a lot um I'm very close to them most of the time and I know that they really used me not used me I think that they appreciated whatever I could offer as far as insights as far as the way that girls think or the way that relationships work or what a girl might be thinking they really wanted to know and I see with my male patients adult and adolescent that they don't quite know how the whole thing works and they really do want information about it and when feelings and emotions arise they just feel like they're supposed to fix it or solve the problem and they don't necessarily know what it is that they're feeling or what the other person is feeling and what you're supposed to do with these feelings and And it's so simple all you have to do is ask (laughs) we're so happy to tell you exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> and then all you have to do is validate it. And right. You're you don't free. have to fix it. Yes. As a matter of fact, sometimes that can be really annoying. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think even talking to boys about their emotions then helps them be able to relate to whoever it is that they're in a relationship with. But I think that some kind of an emotional literacy will help them in relationships, which will then help them in sexual relationships. But there are so many disconnects along the way. And there's, and I think that boys are sometimes, and men are sometimes embarrassed about their interest in it or curiosity not only about sex, but actually about what is going on. I, it, it, it's so mysterious to them. And so if we can start to do some of that translation, I think that that can be really helpful. You know, as you were speaking about this, I thought of a show that I watch on the television. <laughs> oh. I mean the computer. I'm sorry, I'm cool. <laughs> that really explores a lot of this in a really fascinating way. And it's it's so funny it's the show transparent and I think a lot of people think of that show as an exploration purely of transness and what it means to have a transparent but it's it's fascinating in terms of relationships Mm. and masculinity Mm. and expectations Mm -hmm. and men being put in a situation where there's one one of the siblings has a relationship with his uh, babysitter Mm. uh, that lasts for many years and that really does a number on him Mm. Uh, you know a female babysitter Mm -hmm. and he he struggles so much with trying to find a healthy way to find intimacy Mm. after this relationship that, you know, his family saw and didn't, you know, because he was a man Mm. or male, that it didn't, they didn't think there was anything wrong. The expectations of men always wanting sex Mm -hmm. and just wanting Mm -hmm. sex and, you know, yeah, that would be so cool if the teacher, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, no, it, it wouldn't. Like, it's it's complicated mm-hmm. for men, too. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a fascinating show yes. about that as well as, you know, the thing that it gets talked about the most is gender identity. Yes. But there's so much other stuff yes. going on in there. Do you watch that show? I've watched it a few times, but what freaked me out is that they're a Jewish family of three adult children two boys and a girl and it was a little bit too close to home and each one has their own kind of narcissistic struggles and I felt like uh, I love that show. Is it still on? Yeah I think they're doing another season of it. But I thought that there was even a Me Too issue with with Jeffrey Tambor yes. who plays the father yes. or the Mappa, right? which is the name that they give her when she becomes a woman. Huh. Uh, yeah there was and now that actor is not on the show anymore. Oh. And oh. so they had to move on from that. Huh. And I and I always thought the character was really fascinating too because my personal read on him was that he was incredibly unlikable and narcissistic and that becoming a woman or confirming his gender as a woman, he still had so many of the entitlements Uh that we think of as traditionally male and it was a fascinating thing to watch Uh and I found his character so unlikable and never knew if that was intentional or not on the part of the show creators. 
Huh, that's really interesting. It was fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I do think that there is some, I don't know if it's biological or if there is something socialized. We talk to girls about finding their voice and being able to identify what it is that they want or what they need, whether it's emotional or physical or practical. And it is something that doesn't necessarily come naturally, stereotypically to girls. And I wonder if that's something that's been reinforced by society or if, in fact, it's something that is kind of inborn for girls to be more other-oriented, that their wiring is different, their brains are different. But it is something in the throes of all of the Me Too and heightened awareness about sexual discrimination and things that I am very aware of it with my own daughter, sort of allowing her to use her voice and to explore her voice and to be able to know what it is that she wants and to be able to express it or to be careful not to shun it or put it down or to even act as though she's being demanding or a bitch or something like that or selfish because I think that oftentimes there is a difference in the way that we perceive I mean people talk about it all the time the use of one's voice and the use of one's boundaries in relationships. Yeah, you hear all these things about women in many environments starting a question in a classroom. I'm sorry, I know somebody maybe already <laughs> said this, but, um, you know, that's a terrible way to start yes. a question. And I have been guilty I'm of sorry, that I many exist. <laughs> I don't want to take up too much room. Right, too much time, too much space. Yes. And, you know, I do think there's something... I don't know. I feel like we're going to say some un-PC things during this episode. Okay, we already ha- I already have. <laughs> I already have. But, I'm sure I have too, but, but go for it. But, you know, that, that there is something biological about it. I mean, men are stronger. That is why I am scared to go. I don't go for a walk by the river at night by mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. That's mm-hmm. freaking stupid. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think of this is that my husband likes to go for walks sometimes and we went for a walk one night by the river. We mm-hmm. live by the East River. And I just, I remember being shocked and thinking because he's six feet tall and weighs 200 pounds, mm-hmm. he could do this anytime he mm-hmm. wanted. I would never uh-huh. never do this uh-huh. if I weren't with him uh-huh and just you know I think of us as occupying the same space and the same everything and relatively equally matched in how we approach the world and then in that moment I thought oh god we're really not yes we're really not that makes a big difference yes yes uh- and that we yes and that we are different we are physically different and And there is controversy even in the field about are female and male brains actually different? I think that they they have to be, but there are people who believe that that the brains are the same and that the differences are really a result of nurture, not nature, the differences in gender. I I kind of, if I had to say, I would say that we as women have to adapt and that there's something physically threatening – more physically threatening about male anger and power and we do what we can to appear nice and Mm non-threatening because inciting anger from men can put us in genuine peril Mm -hmm. or you know for example in certain work situations when I was outspoken about some of my beliefs I 
it's it's such a complicated stew but i i remember one particular situation where i was working with somebody who's more conflict averse than i am and was it me <laughs> no it wasn't you it was a man uh-huh. and he had an idea that and and we we're friendly too mm-hmm. and he had an idea that i vehemently disagreed with mm. and i remember expressing it and I remember that the reaction was much, it was much more allergic to my vehemence than I had expected. Huh. And that it was, it was kind of wounding or something and it came up repeatedly. And it's hard to find a way uh-huh. to express yourself in a way that will be heard without it being threatening and so a lot of people will do the I'm sorry yes. for saying this or you probably know better than me uh-huh. or add seven mitigating words well kind of sort of a bit <laughs> maybe <laughs> like if, like uh and then say an opinion so that it's so buried that nobody gets like how dare you yes. you know yes and it's it's not that I thought that this person was gonna hit me mm-hmm. but this person was hierarchically above me Mm. and you know there is something Mm. about being nice and being liked being liked yes right like they say that in the workplace you know you can choose between being liked or being successful or competent or is it liked I don't know those are those are the options I think they are yeah I always go for competent oops yeah (laughs) I go for the other yeah yeah that's why we're such a great Do you like me? I like you. I like you. you. It's working. And I see you as confident. (laughs) I think sometimes you and I talk about this too. I know that I attribute a lot of this to having grown up with brothers, but I think that it is such an integral part of how I see myself and not having other girls other than my mother to compare myself to in a very intimate way. And you grew up with only a sister. And I... And a girl dog and a dad who was an OBGYN. There you go. It's all women all uh-huh. the time. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think that there is a difference maybe, and also you're the oldest. I mean, it's hard to know to what we can attribute this, but I think that I have mastered the art, and I'm sure that some of it is also my personality, of just being pleasing. I'm also in the middle, so... I think that I have learned to operate in a way that is going to make me likable. But some of the time, and of course I've learned over the years, that that has been at my own expense. And it's taken me a very long time, and I'm still not always so great at it. Excuse me, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Of trying to take up my own space or feeling like my own voice is... um, valid and even if it does put somebody else off that I'm still entitled to take up that space or take up that airtime and it's not something that comes naturally to me unless it's going to be pleasing but interestingly with my daughter I think that at times maybe even we've erred on the other side and I know that my parents have sometimes even commented she's very comfortable expressing her opinions and she doesn't feel at all apologetic about offending somebody or or expressing herself in some kind of potentially uh I can't think the word strident uh, off-putting yes. harsh offensive yes mean. controversial I was yes say. okay okay um and some people say controversial which I don't know which is right but 
I'm going to say controversial. I like that. <laughs> There's no controversy here about that. Yeah, oh, no. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, in Oregon, I've heard people say about somebody, mm, I'm not crazy about her. She's really opinionated. Mm. And I'm like, that is a diss? Wow. That's an insult to wow. somebody? That's that's living, if you ask me. Yes. So About men, too? Do they no, no, no. About oh, women. Only women. About women. Uh-huh. She's opinionated. I don't remember hearing it ever about a man. Huh. I love how you said, I've mastered the art mm. of mm. being nice. I mean, that kind of makes me think it's a nurture yes. thing that you do it for survival approval. Yes. I, I know one of my friends who has a lot of issues with her mom always, I, I remember her saying, and the first thing that I ever remember her saying to me is, good girl, good girl. Like, <laughs> And, you know, uh-huh. that we were taught that uh-huh. that's what you want to be is yes. a good girl. Yes. A good girl doesn't have sex on the first, second, or third, or eighth date. You know, she waits. A good girl helps at the table and spends a lot of time in the kitchen. A good girl is nice to everybody. Yes. And the correlate for a good boy always, when we were growing up, looked really different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is valued for each one. And now... As the tables are turning, or at least the perspectives are expanding, it seems as though being able to, or encouraging our daughters to be able to express themselves in a way that might not be pleasing, but that pleasing doesn't have to be the priority or the default. And I think that that can be incredibly helpful even in this whole consent discussion too, is that I think that girls girls are ambivalent about offending the other or maybe not pleasing the other or making the other person feel bad. Well, yeah, that brings up an interesting story, actually, because my daughter has no problem in uh, expressing herself in controversial, opinionated, harsh ways. You know, no, those those shoes do not work with that outfit, mom. That's terrible. Or Or calling a radio station. Yes, Uh this same kid called into a radio station to talk about her opinions on the midterm elections Mm. and got on the air. She's she's very confident. Mm -hmm. She's very articulate for a child her age. And one of the people that provides us with, I'll I'll just say services uh, in our life, uh, has a habit of kind of giving a little tickle, you know, Uh doing a little like, hey, how are you doing? And Uh and giving a tickle. And I get uh, my spidey sense with this person goes off. It's a man. And it's somebody that we had repeated uh, times to see. And Mm -hmm. I and I talk to my daughter about it and I always stay in the room. You know, I'm always there Mm -hmm. when these appointments happen or these times of seeing this person. And and I said, do you want me to say anything Mm. about that to stop doing that? And this same daughter said no please don't Mm. please don't Mm. and she was and you know I offered it because I know it was the right thing to do to offer that to protect my daughter and at the same time 
I didn't want to have the conversation with either the front desk or, you know, the person, but I was willing to because I knew it was right. And mm-hmm. she said, no, please don't They'll treat me differently or, or something. They just, she didn't want to make waves. Uh-huh. And so it, and that brings to the fore kind of the grayness yes. when you're in life, when you're in the situations that come on, it's a tickle, I but good. Dare I say even that that's the same daughter who who said that quote that you um Oh yeah. Shared. Yeah, so about if, doing a work boycott. Yes. And yeah. Yes. Oh, it is the same. Yeah. So that she even she knows the quote unquote right things to say and, and she has a woman standing right there who's going to go to bat for her yes. and she says no, please don't. Yes. So how hard is it for us to be able to actually employ what we know is quote-unquote right? I'm even thinking just last night even, this is not a precise, excuse me, I'm excusing myself, but last night my daughter and I were walking our dog, our female dog, and and it was dark, and a man, a, a rather large man who seemed to me cognitively impaired in some way, and he was very doting on the dog and was beginning to play with her a little bit which typically is fun but it did have a a slightly awkward kind of way about it and then he was kidding around and he said oh come here I'm going to take you home with me and he's he reached to pick her up and I stood there because I didn't want him to feel bad and my daughter like you know yanked the leash and said no no please no, you know, something, and was very firm with him. Yay. And I was so afraid of a, of this poor guy feeling bad. I knew that he wasn't going to be able to take the dog, and I did have some confidence in sort of my own physical strength or something in that way that I could... But nonetheless, it was not my first instinct to necessarily draw the boundary, and it was my daughter's first instinct to do so. No, I'm happy I don't for her. like this. I know. I am, too, and at least I've raised her to maybe not struggle with some of the issues that I have because I think that I can appreciate, you know, and not to say that she's going to be immune to this, but I think that she's much more aware of her own, of her voice, of her personal boundaries, of her space, and feeling entitled to that. And I think that that's really, I'm I'm pleased with that, even if it puts people off sometimes. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, at the same time, we live in a world where there can be costs to that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember I used to work in restaurants when I lived in Portland after college. And I worked as a busboy in this fine dining restaurant. And I always wanted to be a waiter because you make so much more money as mm-hmm. a waiter than mm-hmm. as as a busser. Mm-hmm. And, and then this really dopey boy came and and the boss would always be like smile Amy why don't you ever smile at me don't you like me and I was like "Uh." Mm -hmm. you know and I would just kind of give him a dirty look anyway when it came time to get promoted Mm. they did not promote you know Mm. this boss held my future Mm -hmm. in his hand I Mm -hmm. was very competent I was very responsible Mm -hmm. I trained this kind of dopey boy Mm -hmm. who they ended up hiring to be the server and I was livid I it was so unfair Mm. to me Mm -hmm. and I was so mad Mm -hmm. but there was nothing I could do I mean what am I gonna do go to the cops and say I wouldn't smile at him (laughs) so I got passed over Uh to be a waiter you know that no like it it, 
and I was living I think I might have been living with my parents or living cheaply with somebody I didn't have responsibility for anybody else Mm -hmm. you know if you're a woman taking care of a family Mm -hmm. and you don't have a college education but you can wait tables you have to swallow a lot of crap. Uh-huh. You have to smile at that boss. Uh-huh. If you know, I mean, yes. it's gross. But that has that changed? I doubt it. Probably not. Although I hope that it is kind of changing. I, I hope so because um, it's so like just so you know, guys, they don't really like you. They're just smiling because they want their job. So just recognize them for doing the job <laughs> and give them the credit they deserve. Uh. <laughs> I think we lost the guys about a half an hour ago, (laughs) but whatever. (laughs) That's okay. Okay, so should are we? I know this has been kind of indirect way of getting at our takeaways. We've given a few examples. Yes. What What do you think? Where are we at here? I think that maybe we uh, we could refine down our conversation even to three takeaways, which might not be so concrete. It maybe would be a useful framework to think about some of these issues. But as we know, it is so complex, and I think that we wouldn't ever be able to express all of them. But the first is just that sex is about relationships. And I think that if we can convey to our kids that... Boys and girls. Absolutely, boys and girls. And so I think that making that connection between relationships and emotions and interactions and sex, that it doesn't become a conversation about what's right and wrong, but actually begins to discuss kind of what underlies sexual relationships because there is so much emotion involved even in relationship even in sexual interactions that seem transactional there are many emotions that arise feelings of powerlessness feelings of flattery things like that vulnerability vulnerability absolutely even sort of your own sexual strength or your own sexual power and so if we can make some of those connections, maybe even not only is sex about relationships, but that sex has emotion in it no matter what. And so helping kids develop some kind of an emotional literacy, we say, or being more in touch with their own emotions and being able to express them in ways that are translatable in relationships, I think that that's really helpful. So that's the first. As you say that, I think about these hookups I hear about. Yes. And I I just imagine... Oh, you know, I bet that if that guy reached across and took a bite of your food with his fork and your plate, that you'd be grossed out, but (laughs) that you are happy to go home with him and then get an Uber home. Like, shouldn't you, like, I don't know, there's something there about about that that you should have enough. If you wouldn't share food with them, maybe think about what else. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is good. And I think that it's important to even talk about boys, like talk to boys about, would you let somebody go into your body without your consent? Then that's also a useful way for them to think about it, that it helps them to empathize with their partner. The other is that I think that none of this is so clear cut, that there is so much ambivalence, there's so much gray, there's so much ambiguity, and there's so much awkwardness. And I think that that's useful in the conversation. So while it is important for us to convey clear messages about consent or about no means no, I think that it's important for us to address or encourage our kids to explore the range of feelings that are going to come up and even the conflicting feelings that you may feel both flattered and maybe protective of that person and also 
protective of yourself. And so that there are going to be like simultaneous competing feelings. And I don't know if necessarily we can say what to do with that per se, but I think that even the awareness of those competing or seemingly conflicting feelings at the same time is important to acknowledge. I think that it helps to prepare kids. I think that's really really true of course I'm waiting till the this is what I do in therapy sessions too I wait until two minutes before the end to drop the bomb but you know like I I had a situation where somebody that I really trusted and really cared about and was kind of a mentor to me you know initiated sexual stuff that I was not comfortable with Uh and I said no I said no I said no and you know finally I didn't say anything and it was very scarring and upsetting and it felt like a betrayal but all that you know and I I wasn't drunk like Uh all that soup is there I want this person to like me this person respected me this person got me you know I'm going to ruin everything Uh if I say no and if I say if I say if I get out of if I do what's necessary to get all the way out of this Mm -hmm. situation then I'm going to lose all that other stuff yes and you know and that's a tough call to make in the moment yeah I think that sometimes instead I've had to deal with it for 20 years no (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I do I think that some preparation like even processing some of this ahead of time is even helpful so that when you are in the moment and you do have to make that quick judgment call at least you've begun to consider some of this or you think like oh yeah this is what we had been talking about these are those competing feelings because it's so confusing in the moment and it's much harder to think clearly and um, so I encourage parents to even talk about the awkwardness of it because no matter what it is an awkward conversation and that shouldn't mean that shouldn't be a deterrent to us not to talk about it right and then lastly and I think that probably a little bit more importantly with girls but maybe in a few years I'll I won't say that is that I think that it's important for girls to know what they want, to encourage girls to begin to tap into what it is that they want and to be able to express it with some kind of clarity and to feel like that's okay. And I think that we can convey that message to girls as young as toddlers, you know, being able to say, if somebody takes your toy, to be able to say, like, no, that is my toy. That that's not being a good girl or a nice girl. Exactly. I mean, or, or flexible or Right, the, that those aren't necessarily positive values that you're trying to encourage exactly. as much as voice. Exactly. And that that is something that we really want to be aware of because we could see the many ways that it plays out or I could certainly see the many ways that it's played out in my life in all dimensions of my life. And so I hope that other people learn from my mistakes. I don't know. The more aware that we can be of just kind of how we're conveying that gender messaging, that what it is that we're encouraging in our girls. And as far as boys are concerned, maybe even encouraging them to be aware of what it is that they're feeling so that boys do understand their own emotional lives a little bit. And I think that that will help them in all of their relationships and absolutely in their sexual relationships as well. So those are my three refined takeaways. 
Wow. Very refined. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, those are helpful. I'm going to go home and, I don't know, I'm going to parent <laughs> differently. No, I, but, you know, it's it's great. It's a process. That's yes. another thing is, right, it's not just a talk. Very it's, much. It's ongoing. Absolutely. And I think that it's something that to be revisited, as we've talked about, throughout their development because they're changing, we're changing, and the world, the world is massively changing. And there are so many springboards from which to discuss it. Any story on the news practically has something related to this. And also I think even, you know, even when you're watching a show with your child or something like that, asking questions about it. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, how do you feel in this moment? But how do you think that person is feeling? Or what's your take on that? So I think that that's also something that's helpful. Cool. All right, now it's time for our palate cleansing section of the show called No. You have to, which today I think we should call, no, you have to, but only if you really want to. (laughs) We're not imposing. (laughs) And only with your consent. Right, exactly. So if you're feeling it, what, what would yours be this week? Mine actually is a book that I have been reading and listening to, which is, I feel so therapist-y saying this, but I'm not apologizing, Amy. Is Good. That, you take up that space, girl. Mm. Is that there is a book by Daniel Pink, who is the person and the psychologist who wrote the book Drive, which mm-hmm. is all about motivation. And his book before Drive, which I actually thought was after Drive, is called A Whole New Mind, Why Right Brainers Will Rule the Future. And I think that it is one of the most helpful books for parents to read because, you know, I'm very invested in parents being invested in their kids' development that is not just academically driven. Mm -hmm. And I think that he kind of, he presents a very sociological perspective on what is important as far as thinking is concerned. I can't actually capture it. It's just, it's a great book. And I think that it expands our notions of what intelligence is and what's important to encourage in our kids as far as the ways that they think and that the attributes and characteristics that we nurture in them. So So math and engineering are not the only important things to know about. Exactly. That creativity is really important. But he also sort of explains in some way that we're in this era of abundance, he calls it. And so we no longer have we no longer need certain kinds of qualities for survival because they have either been taken care of by technology or whatever. I, I'm just, I'm not going to do it justice, but he, he talks about sort of how important it is to think outside of the box. And we had been more left brain centric for many years, our generation, and that we want to nurture and encourage things that we ascribe to the right brain, things like creativity, thinking outside of the box, being innovative. And I just, I found it so refreshing and validating. So that okay. is my- Daniel um, Pink. Yeah, Daniel Pink, A Whole New Mind, it's called. A Whole New Mind. Yes. It's not just that one half, it's not the whole half. thing. Nope. Okay. How about you? Mine is embarrassing and I am going to apologize for it. I think it's pretty weird that I have this thing and that I'm into this thing and it feels and and it sounds like kind of an old person thing. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. I know that's a lot of lead up. I, you know, the Casper beds that yes. you can get online. Okay. Well, we went to the Casper store because we hadn't gotten a bed since we'd gotten married uh-huh. and it was, you know, sagging and blah, blah, blah. And 
they had these adjustable bases to the bed that uh go up and down with the remote control so that you can lift your head Uh. and put it down. My husband does a ton of work in bed, huh. and so he's always, you know, floofing up with the pillows mm-hmm. and da 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 da. And uh, and now I kind of do mm-hmm. work in bed. I know it's bad sleep hygiene, but mm-hmm. also when we were bed shopping, it was right before I was getting a surgery on my abdomen, mm-hmm. my little hernia thing, and mm-hmm. so I knew that standing. Mm-hmm was going to be really hard but I didn't have to stand because the base ejected me (laughs) with the remote and so I I didn't have to use my wounded abs Uh to to get up and so it's just it's something that's maybe a little extravagant but super fun wow and obviously the kids love it it's great for surgery and working (laughs) in bed and reading in bed and if you have GERD where you have acid stuff, <laughs> my husband sometimes has some GERD issues. You know, after a big meal, there's nothing like raising your bed head uh-huh. up for, for an hour before you go to sleep. Anyway, it's a really fun, life-improving, stupid, embarrassing thing that makes me like Grandma that Georgina is... and Grandpa George from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The well, modern. I, yeah. I know that when you recommend that that stair climber thing that electric, <laughs> that, that, that attaches to the bed. That it's or, over. That I, yeah, it's over. The but the Casper, the Casper bed Adjustable actually sounds, base, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. It's really fun. That's cool. <laughs> oh, thank you, Amy. Thank you, Dana. This was fun. I think we'll probably end up having some kind of a sequel to this because, oh, there's so much we We left unsaid. Scratch the surface. Scratch the surface. All right. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We're now on iTunes and Stitcher and other places. Review us. Tell all your friends. Or if you really hated it, tell some enemies. All right. uh, (laughs) Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time. Bye.